Today on Nineworks Radio, we chat to the Porsche Hunter. Nineworks Radio is your dedicated Porsche and car podcast, taking you closer than ever to the world's finest sports cars and the culture and history behind them. The show is brought to you by nineworks.co.uk, the innovative online platform for Porsche enthusiasts. Hosted by Porsche journalist Lee Sibley and 993 owner and engineer Andy Brooks, with special input from friends and experts around the industry, including you, our valued listeners. Good evening, Max. Good evening. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Hot. Very hot. It is very hot in the UK right now. Uh, hello to everybody listening at home. We both hope that you are well. As you might be able to tell, it's uh, it's two-man effort tonight, certainly for the introduction anyway. Uh, 50% of the crew are elsewhere. Andy is somewhere in Scandinavia, uh, somewhere between uh, Denmark and Sweden. Uh, we hope that will mean, or not mean the bridge, because he's gone on holiday. And I know that bridge goes <laughs> on forever between Copenhagen and Malmo, but hopefully he's... Uh, yeah, enjoying himself. And Neil, I think I think Neil is at a car show in a field somewhere, standing talking yeah. to people because he likes he likes car shows with in fields. I, either that, or he's still at home deciding which car to take. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> cracking, absolutely cracking. Uh, Max, what have you been up to, my friend? Um, well, in this hot weather, I've definitely been driving my car because the. Of the three cars that are available to me, my 911 is the only one that has ventilated seats. Oof. And they're a godsend, I tell you, on a day like today. Yeah. When you get in there, having light leather, which is a pain every other time of the year. Yeah. Um, light leather with ventilated seats. I tell you, it's good. It's really good. Going, going straight in for like a, a geek fest deep dive here. oh yeah and sorry it, about that it won't it, <laughs> we're, we're two minutes into the podcast and we're talking about <laughs> vented seats if you have just joined us we, we are entertaining there is a modicum of uh, of laughter interspersed amongst this geekery but uh yeah i, I don't see that options too much to be honest like no, 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 seats, it's a rare thing it's yeah, a rare thing on 991s and 992s you know heated seats are, are the norm really but uh vented seats as well is, is definitely a kick on from that they're a real treat it was one of the things that sealed the deal for me <laughs> on the car so uh yeah yeah so that that that's that's been good in the uh in the hot weather what else have i been doing i went to a cracking uh event on sunday um i got invited to an event put on by the guys who run the um make specs great again in- instagram account okay so the two lads that run that so they 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 sort of focus on uh on you know on great factory specs you know unusual colors and you know all, all of that sort of thing on instagram and they uh, ran an event at rpm mm-hmm. um you know rpm who we know and love through yep. um nine works marketplace absolutely um the make specs great again guys set it up rpm hosted it and it was a sort of invite only kind of thing um and i and i went along to that by virtue of having a brown car you know that's what got me in my car was probably the most ordinary otherwise <laughs> uh, but the fact that it was brown <laughs> is brown got me in but it was it was really good really good morning it's a beautiful morning last sunday and there's some really really fantastic and interesting cars there including the first uh cayman gt4 rs that i've seen which yeah. is that ruby star one that i sent you the picture of yeah yeah um so that was there and it was just a really really nice nice event you know lots of people that we that we know you know like nick jeffrey and people like that 
um, and the guys from RPM, and it was a really lovely morning. I nice, know. nice. Why, why really was, interesting cars. Why was it invite only then? I, I, what was the thinking behind well, that? Well, I think because they just want to, you know, get a little cohort of people. I think they do odd things. You know, it's not really their thing to organise uh, events, but I think they wanted to – they did it last year as well. I think they just wanted to get together a group of the people that they've met through – doing the make specs make specs great again instagram so yeah. they just wanted to get a little collection of cars that are you know interesting or unusual specs i suppose as opposed to a sea of black and gray and silver porsches that you get at any other uh event so they just wanted to you know invite the people that i guess that they've met mm. through the process of running that instagram page and it just makes for a really interesting little collection of people because mm. everything as i say mine's probably in you know in Porsche terms the most ordinary being a Carrera S you know there are a lot of GT cars a lot of PTS you know that kind of thing there um but you know I get there by the fact that buys brown which is quite unusual so it just creates an interesting little mix of um of uh of uh of cars and people yeah oh, okay yeah nice no that's good well I'm, I'm pleased that the, the, the macadamia uh no, anthracite yeah is it is it yeah is it nice it's anthracite brown metallic Uh, okay i remember i remember when you um i remember when you bought the car you were undecided i'm I'm pretty sure it was macadamia for a month and then it went it was advertised as macadamia Uh, okay um which was almost a little bit off-putting to me because macadamia is quite brown and when i went to have a look at it you know it looked you know it wasn't quite as as brown and bronzy, I suppose, if you like. And I thought, you know, maybe macadamia is different on a 991 than it was on a 997, say. Yeah. Um, but um, but then actually Will Lee, who runs the PTSRS yeah. Instagram account, um, he got in touch with me and he said, that ain't macadamia, I think that's anthracite. And I hadn't really thought too much about it, to be honest. But I just pulled the, um, you know, the, um, uh, the service book out, which has got yeah. a little sticker in it. And I think the code is M8S. And it is anthracite, so um, it's it's got a lot more grey in it than macadamia has. Yeah. So on some days it does look like it doesn't look too too different from agate. Yeah, actually. yeah. But then in really bright sun, you know, the brown really comes out. Yeah, it's a it's a really really nice spec on your car. It has to be said. Um, yeah, and don't talk your car down as well. You said it's only a Carrera S. Like that that is a fantastic nine eleven by any stretch of the imagination. You know. Well, and actually, you say that when I was so I was there all morning on Sunday. I had a really lovely time. It's about half an hour from my house to RPM. Um, and when I left, I had quite a nice drive home. You know, sunroof open. You know, all these sorts of things. And as I was driving home, I was really enjoying myself, having a really nice drive. And I actually thought to myself, I love my car. It's yeah. fantastic. You know, I didn't think, oh, I wish I was in that uh, GT3 or I wish uh, I wish I was in, you know, any of the cars, any of the amazing cars that I've been around that morning. Yeah. I thought I love my car. Mate, amazing. And, and you know, as, as the saying goes, the greatest Porsche is the one that's on your drive. Absolutely. So absolutely. No, very good. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, I was in, I would say Andy's in Scandinavia. Um, I was over in that part of the world. I think it was uh, the weekend before last now, actually. Um, over in Norway, which was just the most amazing time. I was very lucky to be able to take my good wife, Laura. Um, and we went over for a couple of days to hang out with the uh, Porsche Club Norway, the Sunmore uh, chapter or region, which is sort of southwest um, of the country. And yeah, I mean, it, it, 
you know, if those that live out there and those that have holidayed there will know what a stunning country that is with just the most breathtaking topography uh, you can you can wish to see and blessed with some amazing driving roads, you know. Um, it's like the maximum speed in Norway is 50 miles an hour. But the reality is if uh, if you're going any more than that, then you're very much missing point because the place is so bloody beautiful. Um, and yeah, they've, they've got some outstanding driver's roads there. Perhaps the most famous one is Trollstigen, which actually was closed while, while we were there. Um, but yeah, it was it was brilliant. It was really, really, really nice to meet the guys and girls of the Sunmore region of Porsche Club Norway. I would just like to take the opportunity to say thanks so much to Ula, to Rags, um, and to everybody there, Henrik, Roy, Finn, um, as well as tonight's guests for making uh, my wife and I so um so comfortable for those four days. So it was at, at their annual road trip out to, uh, I'm going to really butcher the saying here, Thomas shortly will probably put me right, but it's uh, Gaidanga, which is apparently, well, without a doubt, to my mind anyway, the most beautiful beautiful fjord in, in Norway, but there's some stunning roads all, all around. Um, so it's just a weekend of good roads, good food, good friends, great socialising. And um, as I say, yeah, really, really kind of proud and honoured to, to, to have gone over for that. Yeah, those um, pictures that you that I saw on your Instagram stories are really breathtaking. As, as I said, I was really quite taken aback by the scenes that you were seeing and posting. I, I, I said to the guys there, you know, like your, your, the area you live in is just ludicrous because we'd, we'd go around every single corner and there'd be a brand new vista to just, your jaw would just hit the floor at. So, you, you know, Laura and I were both going, wow, turn the corner, new, new vista, new scenery, even better. Wow. Honestly, we just said three days picking our jaws up off the floor. Um, and I have to say as well, a huge thanks to Christian and the splendid guys at Porsche Centre Ullison. So we touched down at Ullison Airport. Uh, Ulla picked us up, took us to uh, Porsche, the Porsche dealership, which has only been there for five years. It's a super young dealership. Loads of different uh, cars in the showroom and around the grounds. It's quite large grounds as well, actually. Um, but yeah, some of the cars were sell. Obviously, there was a load of new stuff, but there was some like 996 turbos there, one of which was in like a meridian color. So, I mean, that would be great. That makes specs great again. Yeah, yeah. Super, um, super unique color, really. So, yeah, lots of like really cool cars, old and new. And, and, and the centre has really kind of excelled in ingratiating itself within the community. And, uh, you know, we were uh, luckily, you know, we were privileged to be given a car for the weekend. And we pulled into the car park and amongst this sea of all these other bits and pieces, Taycans, a lot of Taycans in Norway uh, with their appetite for uh, e-vehicles. But among all that was a beautiful Fjord Green 992C4S. And again, very appropriate colour. Very appropriate, you know, and, and as I said, not for the first time, my jaw hit the floor as did Laura's and we were like, wow, that is, that's a stunning colour. And the guy smiled and said, well, that's handy because that's your car for the weekend. So, I mean, amazing, really, really nice to climb back behind the wheel of a 992 again. Um, but we were just bowled over by by the car that was just really kind of well optioned, you know, talk about your car being really well optioned. And, and this had a really nice kind of mocha brown interior, uh, which just offset against that fjord green really nicely, which is, mm. you know, if, uh, for those listening at home that aren't familiar with it, it's it's three, five, six color for a start, but it's a real, real dark green, um, flat color. And Christian at the center said that they'd specced this car, um, being inspired by their surroundings, which I thought was brilliant, you know, yeah. absolutely brilliant, but considering how unique all of that was. 
Um, so yeah, look, it was great. And, and again, on those sorts of rows, a car like the 992, we've spoken previously about how the threshold for the 992 and the 991, its capabilities are so high, you have to really be pushing on some to kind of unlock its sports car DNA. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and swing the pendulum away from the from the GT side of things. But on those sorts of roads, which is, uh, you know, just squiggles all over the place, basically, it doesn't take a lot to start unlocking that with the 992. Yeah. Um, and it really was just the most kind of phenomenal car. It felt, it felt really light. It felt really agile. It's yeah. super, super pointy again, you know, that front axle. It was just nice to climb. As I say, it's, it's been yeah. a few months now since I'd, I'd driven a 992. So it's really nice to be reminded of, of how good it is. But again, yeah. it, it was on, you know, some of the best roads on planet Earth. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So given, given the sort of roads that are there, and excuse, you know, for, excuse me for going full on geek again, did it have did it have chrono rear axle steer sport chassis you know what 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 was the spec yeah like li- literally all, all of that max it was, a, right. it was a real kind of box ticker um as you'd probably expect from a from a demo car but um yeah you know it was, it, it was c4s or uh, it was pdk it wasn't manual yet yeah, sport chassis rear axle steering um it had the sunroof it had bows it had pse um it actually had a pdcc dynamic chassis oh yeah 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 of which uh, you're a fan yeah yeah look, i love it i love it you know some people uh, have said you know other journalists have commented that pdcc takes away the feel of the car i don't quite agree with that i just i, I don't think it robs the car of a lot of feel at all and, and it really just helps that car go around corners like it's on rails you know Mm-hmm. um yeah really really kind of real special bit of kit so yeah look fantastic from me big thumbs up um had pse can't remember if i said that or not yeah but, yeah nice um you know yeah and again you know i've mentioned before the early 992s they were quite quiet you know it was the late 991.2s that were early adopters of the particulate filter yeah um, it's obviously stifled that flat six noise the early 992s were very quiet indeed um but yeah, look now. I think Porsche has kind of mastered mastered the timbers of the flat six and in the nine nine two, and yeah. even without kind of PSE selected, you know, it's you know you could be in sport mode, but with it off, and it's just got a really nice soundtrack to it that you can hear inside the car. Yeah. Um, so That's, yeah, that reminds me of something. Actually, I thought of you. The other one of the other things I've been doing was I went to a um, to not a Porsche do, but another sort of classic car meet in Stony Stratford near me at the beginning of this month. And uh, when I was there, there were there weren't that many Porsches actually, but there was a 992 C4S, yeah. and there was also an early second gen 991, a manual car. It was an ex demo car, quite heavily specced, and um, I saw I saw them both running. And the 991.2, which was a 65 plate, I think, so an early one, so pre particulate filter, sounded really, really good. It had PSE. Yeah. It sounded excellent. But the 992C4S really didn't. It was ever so, ever so quiet. And I thought of you then, because it was, it was from reading some of the stuff that you wrote in T911 that I understood about the particulate filter coming in and the difference that that made. And I thought that this 65 plate 991.2, I thought, wow, that actually sounds bloody good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is it. Pardon the pun, but like Porsche with it, it was, it was quiet for the first model year of the 992. Definitely. Um, Porsche didn't make a lot of noise about any kind of changes per se, but definitely after that first model year, so the second model year of the 992 onwards, Uh 
it definitely improved definitely um so yeah look that's that's kind of the, the constant evolution of engineering that the company's kind of known for that's you know evidence of that so um yeah look very good as i say thank you so much to, to everybody that was out there um it's where i met uh, tonight's guest actually and and before i get thomas on who we're calling the porsche hunter because i mean the the, the stories that we were hearing uh, over in Norway there from Thomas was astounding. And, and I know before he says a word that he's going to be very, very, very good value for this podcast tonight and everybody listening at home. Um, but uh, yeah, during, during the, the weekend at one stage, I just did a little kind of talk with people and I asked what their first Porsche memory was. And uh, I'd like to ask you what yours is, Max. And next week, we're going to do a little something with some Patreons for an episode. And uh, I think we should do something around the theme of what's your first Porsche memory, because what was fantastic over the weekend, a lot of the, the guests were then talking to us about their first Porsche memory. And it's incredible how the car that they drive today is linked to that first memory or sighting or experience. It is, it's uncanny. Wow. Yeah. So what's your first Porsche store, uh, pet Porsche memory, Max? And then we'll ask Thomas what. God, I don't know. I don't know. That's a really tough one. I'm not sure. I'm so old that, um, you know, things tend to tend to merge. You know, I have some strong, strong memories, I suppose. Strong early memories for me of Porsche. It's hard to think of one. But when I lived in the Northeast up in Gateshead, the things that had an impact on me, there were some local Porsches. My doctor, my GP. Uh, Dr. Penn Rice, he, he, he drove a 924 Carrera GT, a silver one. Nice. Uh, so I've always liked them. So on the occasion that I'd go to, to the doctors, I'd see that outside. thought that was pretty cool. And, I, and I've always liked that. Yeah. Um, and then on our road that we lived, there was a bookie uh, called Jeff. I can't remember his surname. And he had a black um, 3.2 Carrera with a wing. And as you know, I've always had a thing for black 911s yeah. and maybe that had an impact on me um and uh and next door or a couple of doors down from him there was a guy who had changed his cars quite a lot but for a time he had a he had a martini 911 turbo oh, um okay. but so you know so their early memories along with um a condor man which is yeah. another black car thing yeah but I, i'm probably best known for the impact that le mans had on me when i went to le mans in 1987 with my dad um, and Derek Bell won in the Rothmans 962. And I've pretty much been obsessed with Group C cars or Group C Porsches ever since then. Yeah. You know, hence all the stuff that's followed. Yeah, yeah. But that's it. You know, so they, those those memories have clearly had an impact on your life um, on, you know, in terms of road and race. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, super cool. Okay, well, look, without further ado, let's bring in our guest for the evening, uh, Thomas, a.k.a. the Porsche Hunter. Uh, Thomas, welcome to Nine Works Radio. Thank you. It's really honour to be on. Uh, the pleasure is all ours, believe me. Um, yeah, so Thomas, let's let's dive straight in with a completely uh, unobvious question. But what's your first Porsche memory, sir? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, nine twenty eight. I was um, I grew up in a small village, and uh, at this local, um, we had the paper factory, and. Uh, this was bought by a, a rich man that came to the town when I was about 10 years old. And I saw him uh, coming uh, to this shop and I saw this car for the first time. And it was the first time I ever saw a Porsche. I, I seen the magazines on things like this, but uh, that was a 
Yeah, it must be now 81, 82, 928S and uh, brand new at that time. So uh, that was a big impact. And I always had an interest for cars, but uh, I think that might be the thing that made me look more into Porsches already from that age. See, again, that's uncanny because when I met you a couple of weeks ago, the car that you turned up in yeah. <laughs> was a 928, you know? So it's like, that is, that's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. Yeah, that, that was really a coincidence because I had a lot of Porsches. But, uh, but uh, now I have a 928 again amongst other cars. But, uh, yeah, I... Uh, and is it, course, is it an early 80s one, Thomas, that you've got at the moment? Uh, the one that I have now is uh, 86, actually. 86. It's a 2.5 uh, S, as it's called, an S2. Yeah. So it's got um, the, the early look, but it has the S4 upgrades, uh, suspension and brakes, and has the high compression uh, 4.7 V8. So it's and four-speed. Automatic, so it's a really nice original car, non sunroof, with the granite rot color, the nine five nine color. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's a nice car. So yeah, awesome. but uh, of course I'm into the air cooled things first. But uh, I also, this is my fourth nine two eight, I think. So I always like like those also. Yeah, we we said, and we we don't talk enough about the transaxle cars on this podcast, and, and we've been rightly kind of pulled up on that by listeners as well. Um, so, Thomas, you're you're clearly a big fan of the nine two eight. What what do you like about the nine two eight? Of course, as I am, um, the thing that I like about Porsches always is that they it all has the roots in motorsport. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, that's the most important. That's why I always interested most in the motorsport cars. So that's funny that I like the nine to eight because that's maybe the Porsche that has uh, less motorsport. It has done some some races, but it's yeah. I think it's just uh, engineering, and uh, and uh, I know. It was the first choice for the Group C drivers between races, the Formula One drivers between races in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, because it's such a Autobahn and Continental cruiser. So, yeah, I just, um, I like it. <laughs> yeah. I've always had a hankering for a 928, Thomas. Um, I've always, I feel like I've got a tick off owning a V8 engine car. And uh, yeah. I always thought, um, probably because of Risky Business, you know, the Tom Cruise movie, you know, that was yeah, one of my yeah. early 928 experiences. Yeah. So I've always thought they were, you know, quite cool cars. And I thought it's a great way to tick off the V8 thing as well. But I was always put off them. I think maybe I got this from my dad, maybe that, you know, when they weren't expensive cars, I was always conscious of the fact that they were quite complicated cars and if they went wrong potentially they could be really expensive to put right and really expensive to run so that always mm. put me off then and you know now they're not cheap cars anymore and and you know maybe they're a bit too expensive for me but as you know you've owned four so you know what your experience has been of the cost of running and living with a 928 yeah i had the more in my uh, shop uh, selling them but uh, personal i had four and uh, 
of course, it's always important to buy a good car because I've seen some of the bills for expenses for the owners before, and it's not the cheapest car to run because, especially historically, the prices for parts is horrendous <laughs> in some <laughs> ways. Still are. I, I just uh, I ordered a temperature uh, sender. Just an easy sender for a uh, nine to eight for a guy here, and I ordered it for Germany, and it's just a east small temperature sender. Yeah, and uh, even that is uh, five hundred euros <laughs> today. Just just as it is uh, nine to eight, it's I don't know, but uh, some parts are the, then um, good again. I have been lucky. I, I I will say that because I I did not have any big uh, bills. I had a nine to eight GT and I had a GTS and I oh, wow. also owned this um, you know the arts uh, company in Germany. They built one uh, station wagon. A shooting oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I owned that in one period also. Oh wow. wow, that's so cool! I remember seeing that maybe whoa. oh, it's a while back now. It was years ago. It was years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. What a yeah, cool it, thing! Uh, it came to Norway uh, during the eighties and had a lot of owners because uh, in the eighties the tax regulation has always been strong in Norway. So in the eighties they they uh, could import nine forty fours and nine twenty eights as. Uh, Cargo vans, two seaters <laughs> with a dividing wall. Yeah. So less taxes. So that one came to Norway as that. But uh, it's still in Norway and it's good condition. So it's it's uh, amazing. I even saw Mini Champs made a, a model car of it now. <laughs> I hope cool. you've got one. I have the model car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's green uh, as the car, and it's the only car uh, known to exist. It supposedly was built two, but I only know of one. Yeah. So, so what, what, what happened? Why did you sell it, and what, what happened to it after, after you had it? Uh, yeah, it's. I had a lot of Porsches, and uh, I don't always know why I sell it. It's always yeah. uh, the chase for something new. Yeah, I guess. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, it's it's a collector in Norway that has a lot of great cars that has the car now. So yeah, yeah it's in good hands, and he, uh, I know he even uh, fitted a, a trailer hitch to it. So it's uh, he has his three fifty six Speedster maybe behind. Oh, brilliant! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, no. So uh, nine to eight is. I also had a lot of uh, other liquid cool Porsches, but. Um, Maybe the 928 is more, it's not a 911 experience, but it's a good Porsche experience in another way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, for, for a classic car, it felt big inside. I, you know, just I jump, jumped into yours uh, before you left. And, you know, yeah. proportionally, yeah, it's quite big compared to like a, a 911 of the time. What fascinated me uh, about the 928 from like a design point of view inside two things First of all, the handbrake is is down on the left-hand side in between the seat and the door sill, a bit like the Carrera GT. Um, but the most fascinating thing for me was the sun visor, not the one in front of you, but the one behind you at the top of the rear screen. Oh, yeah. What yeah. is that all about? 
yeah, it's uh, it's uh, if you get the sun from behind, you can also block the sun there. Wow! Yeah, I've, I've never quite seen a big that. glass area behind you in a nine two eight, isn't there? On the in the rear three quarters and in the back yeah. window, that's a lot of, of of heat to be generated with the sun's coming in. I suppose, yeah. Yeah, it was a really advanced car for its time, and uh, yeah, of in seventy eight, it uh, won the car car of the year, the European Europe, car of the year, only sports car to do so. I think. Correct. I don't. I don't think any sports car ever did after that. No, no, I think you're right. And uh, you uh, have this Vesak uh, axle at the rear. It's some, in a primitive early way, it's a four-wheel steering because it uh, generates some help in uh, cornering. Yeah. And it's uh, basically the 993 rear axle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. same. And it uh, was in 78 for this car. Yeah, uh, essentially just then, have a bit, of, a bit of toe in and toe out, I suppose. Yeah, um, no. and I, I also have a '78 uh, very early car coming in soon. So yeah, it's I because and it's it cheap compared to 911s. Yeah. yeah, I'd still like one. I'd still like one after <laughs> my last um, visit to Bista Heritage Sunday Scramble in back in April. There were some really nice ones really nice ones there and that got me that got me looking um mm. and and you know i i bottled it again i'll probably continue to bottle it but i'm hoping <laughs> that you're going to give me some confidence thomas and i'm going to do it and then i'll drive yeah, it tomorrow. Yeah. yeah it's uh, it's a cool car so, but i think it's uh it's like the 914 i think uh a car that i also had some of uh, either you hate it or either you love it i think yeah i think you're probably right yeah. I'm into yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, where, where these kind of values of classic 911s has gone berserk for the last sort of 10 years, people are trying to find these new pockets of the next yeah. kind of underrated Porsche. And, and the great thing about Porsche is there are still loads of them around. And, and as you said, you know, you point to things like the 928, um, the 944 got a look in, and then obviously the, the, the 914 as well, 912s as well a few years ago went went crazy. All yeah. of a sudden. So it's nice yeah. that there are these kind of pockets of underrated cars. Yeah. Um, but look, it's, no. it's nice that we've we've bumped up 928 values by about 15% today. So that's, <laughs> that's um, I, I want to just touch, uh, first of all, on kind of the Porsche scene in Norway, Thomas. Uh, obviously, you're really well placed to talk about this because – I found it quite fascinating. I mean, as a community, you're all so friendly, which really does make it. We've said on this podcast before, it's the people uh, that, that champion the community and the cars are just a lovely bonus. Um, you're all so friendly. There's, there's lots of variety, particularly, um, I'm talking about the cars now, for, for a, a country that has kind of such a harsh climate. I mean, there's a load of Taycans over there. We mentioned there's been a big pickup of EVs, but there's a load of classics uh, being driven as well. It's it's kind of really great to see, but also you get a lot of cars in from Japan as well. Yeah. It's been, uh, as I started with Porsche, my first Porsche was a 912, and that was in 98, I think I bought my first Porsche. But uh, I joined the Porsche Club in 93 in Norway. 1993 i think and the community has always been friendly but it's of course it's changed because at that time it was not many porsches in norway but nowadays it's exploded really the last uh, 
10, 15 years, it's really got a lot. Of course, a lot of new cars, but also classics. And uh, we, um, of course, we are neighbors to Sweden, the big Porsche country <laughs> in Scandinavia. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so if you see historically, we we don't uh, had a lot of Porsches in uh, in Norway, but. Uh, I actually saw here this uh, sales statistics from the 50s I found in the archives in um, in uh, Stuttgart. And I see in 1953, there was sold one new Porsche in Norway. <laughs> <laughs> and in Sweden, they sold 37. No way, yeah. Yeah. And I see in England, they sold 10. <laughs> Oh wow! Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. interesting well, to, to be honest, point. there is that is good context because um, you know, as you pointed out, historically Sweden has been a really kind of important territory for Porsche, particularly in yeah. um, in the early days. You know, kind of just post-war and and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so yeah. I suppose it's natural that uh, over time some of those cars would seep over the border. I suppose in in into Norwegian hands. Yeah, they, it has. It's a lot of Swedish car came to Norway, and of course a lot of rebuilt cars. But uh, that's where I always try to find gold. You never know what's under because it's a lot of uh, cars that has been rebuilt. And Sweden has had uh, so much nice cars. It's we don't want to be political here, of course. But uh, if you see 1949 after the war. Sweden was more lucky in, than other countries because they were neutral. Mm -hmm. So of the 52 Porsche Gmund Alu cars that was made in 49, uh, I think uh, 25 went to Sweden. Wow. Oh, okay. Great stat. Yeah. And also the same with the 73 RS. It's a lot of cars that came there. And, and also Switzerland, you see the same uh, almost also. The, Sweden and Switzerland was both neutral, <laughs> yeah. so they were better off after in the fifties. So uh, yeah, it's been uh, so Norway don't have this rich Porsche history as Sweden does because they had factory drivers, they had everything in the early days, they had everything from nine oh sixes to nine seventeen. Everything was in Sweden in the yeah. days. They had a Formula One race there even in the days and uh, I, I think everything has been in Sweden uh, 550s 780s 907s uh, yeah everything mm -hmm. but uh, here in Norway we were more uh, the farmers country and uh, as I have found out we had one factory race car delivered new in Norway in the 60s just one, just one. and uh, that that one I found, <laughs> so yeah. But it was uh, it's, yeah. it was delivered new in Norway and still in Norway, so that's nice. Awesome. Okay. Well, yeah. Look, I think it's about time we we got on to um, you and, and and what you do, Thomas. So obviously, you run TRS Classics. Um, as I said at the top of the podcast, we've we've billed you as the Porsche Hunter, and and really, what you do is absolutely fascinating. Um, if you wouldn't mind to explain into to the guys and girls at home. Yeah, of course, I, I um, during my time in the Porsche community, I, I think it all, I think I need to explain from the start. It all started when I 
during my first factory trips with the Porsche Club to Sofenhausen. Um, in one of these trips in the late 90s, I got acquainted and got in contact with Jürgen Bart at Porsche. Uh, he was still at, uh, working at um, Vesak at this time. So uh, I got in contact with him because I always uh, read a lot of Porsches and I always want to go to the route. I, I need to know why and why it was like this. I, I don't settle for the numbers. I need to know what's behind the numbers. So the first fascination I started to look at was the 1967, 68, 911 R. Of course, the unicorn. <laughs> yeah. For me at that time, I always been fascinating by that car. And I, I read a lot of books and some cars said this and some others that. And I started doing some research myself. Um, and I found out that there really is wasn't much about these cars. They were quite forgotten. So I uh, talked to Jürgen about this and I said somebody should do a research and maybe a book project about this and he just answered let's do it <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he uh, actually he invited me down to Vaisak uh, and said just come and we start to look at it so that was my first trip to Vaisak really at his office and came into his office and um, after that uh, we have of course worked a lot about this and i started doing research and um, especially the early rally racing cars from 65 to 72 because the unique thing about these cars is that the win numbers you cannot see of the win numbers if it's really a factory delivered race car uh, except the 911R that has a two-digit 99 in the middle that says it's a 911R. But the yeah. others, they are like the TR and uh, like the other uh, rally cars. You have to have the Cardex to see if it's been delivered with sport kit, rally kit, or anything. Yeah. So that was my... I used a lot of years discovering all these uh, cardexes and uh, found out which cars it was. And uh, really my hunt in that way has been finding these cars. Mm. Also doing research, of course, and going, uh, because it's, it's uh, forget, nobody has ever done that in my knowledge to have an overview of the early rally cars and I only search for the cars that have been delivered as uh, this from the factory. So the Cardex states sport kit or rally kit or anything like this. So, so uh, from this, it's from the 911 uh, TR, R, STs and uh, 911L with a uh, rally kit and all these cars. So, so, so would that be because Thomas? Because these cars would start essentially as either a 911T, say, or a 911S on the production line. And if yeah. at point, if at point of sale, the buyer was 
buying it because they wanted to rally or because they wanted to race. They'd buy the yeah. sort of, you know, the the kit that would make it into what we think of it as, as, as an ST. They'd buy it at that point and it would come out as an ST. But another buyer might have, might buy a 911S and think, actually, I've got the car and I want to rally it. So they'd mm. retrospectively buy the same kit and yeah. get it fitted or fit it themselves. So they would also end up with an ST. Um, yeah. But it just hadn't come out of the factory like that. Is that, am I yeah. understanding that correctly? Yes, that's correct. And uh, uh, of course, it's the same cars, but uh, in my, uh, I find it fascinating because the, the, the ones that was uh, delivered as uh, race cars or rally cars from the factory, they were usually uh, to some teams and more professional drivers and more mm-hmm. like this. So it was, uh, so it's a, uh, of course, this, the car that was retrofitted, it's the same basically, but uh, I have concentrated on the cars that have been yeah. delivered new as this. It's, yeah. it's great to, to have this as a, as a point of reference for everybody, really. So where, Thomas, you've said you've written about the 911R, I mean, that's a great example, but particularly with reference to STs, TRs and everything else. Um, mm. When these cars were made new, you know, people at the time at the factory, rightly, they weren't thinking, oh, we need to document everything because in 50 years' time, these are going to be worth mega money. It was a case of build a race car, out it goes for this fledgling company. So kind yeah. of records are thin on the ground and and therefore um, historical accuracy is quite hard to ascertain. So you're doing, you're doing the community a real service and particularly owners of those cars nowadays, I I, I would imagine. Yeah. 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 And nerds like us, I was going to say me there, us, (laughs) they're interested in this sort of thing. Yeah. It's quite nerdy things, of course, but uh, I always want to find, uh, find a way. And uh, now I have, from 65 to 72, I uh, have a bit about 135 cars. Awesome. Wow, okay. All, all documented with its its history and pedigree and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. And uh, including and- uh, the 911Rs and the SDs. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite important as well, isn't it? And, you know, it feels important. Maybe it isn't in the grander scheme of things, but because it's, you know, and it's always been a 9-11 thing, you know, updating, backdating, modifying this, that and the other, you know, it's not, you know, that difficult if you know what you're doing to, you know, to, to create and replicate these cars. And people do, you know, often just because, mm. you know, they love it and they want the look and the style, but, uh, you know, other people do it, you know, and they pass things off as things that they aren't, um, you know, yeah. and it's very difficult, you know, sometimes to, you know, to, uh, to ascertain and, uh, and understand what you're actually dealing with. So, you know, it is important to document this stuff. I think. Yeah, it is, and uh, of course, the values of a of a car that has been delivered uh, as a race car with the car at the Cardex, of course, the value is much higher, and then that's also a little pity in one way because it's so much money in it. So, of course, there will be always somebody trying to replicate and doing false things also, but. Um, yeah. yeah that's uh one thing about it i think yeah is it yeah. is it is it true thomas just going on one year further from the main body of your work in to 1973 you know in the bastion of favorite and legendary 911s the 2.8 rsr often comes up because it's such a you know mega looking car such a great car mm. is it 
is it the case that 2.8 RSR isn't actually a, a car, isn't actually a model? It's a 2.7 RS with a kit. You know, there's a kit number which turned mm. it into what we call the 2.8 RSR. But 2.8 RSR isn't actually a, a designated model. In it, in no, it was, a, it was like a M code kit, uh, if you look uh, really on it. So, uh, yeah, it's it's all based on the, the 73 RS, of course it is. And uh, it's uh, also fascinating cars. But um, I, I always loved all these uh, early racing horses. But uh, the sweet spot for me is the short wheelbase race cars, really. Yeah, uh-huh. Of course, that's uh, that's what I always uh, uh, like. But I, I like all of them, of course. The, but it's something special about these early, early short wheelbase narrow cars with uh, high revving, low capacity engines. Yes, yeah. it's, it's cool. I think it's worth course, pointing uh, out to um, to just the ladies and gentlemen listening at home, Thomas, that while you're kind of saying all of this because we're recording via Zoom. The, the grin on your face really is for me. <laughs> like, you know, you, you can see, you know, with your expressions, just how passionate you are about these cars. You know, it really is awesome to see. Yeah, it's been a, a big part of my my interest in many years. And, uh, yeah, it's, I like it, yeah. Is, is that why you started, Thomas, with a 912? Because you wanted that, you know, you're interested in that aesthetic and that kind of yeah. thing. Is that why you went there first? Yeah, of course. Then I, I, the dream car was a 911R. So uh, I found a 68, 9, and 12 that aesthetically has the same, uh, the new digits on the, the instruments and everything. So, yeah, it was always uh, a reason why I started with the 912. I think it was what I could afford at the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I would argue for it from the um the information that you have amassed, Thomas, with TRS that I mean you probably have a better um fact file on these cars than Porsche at the factory. Would that be fair to say? Um <laughs> Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you know, again, for, for reasons we were saying, you know, they, they, they these sorts of things weren't logged at the time. It wasn't deemed kind of necessary, particularly when you're building race cars. So, um, uh, you know, and again, it was you, you have to remember that like Porsche uh, uh, until, you know, 10 years ago or whenever it was, it was fairly recently. It, it didn't actually own a 2.7 RS like within its own collection. And again, it's because you know, it's a car manufacturer, it builds these cars, it puts it out, it was different times, it was before these were really considered to be, you know, of high value, not in terms, you know, not monetarily, uh, but culturally, I suppose. Um, So yeah, you know, keeping hold of all these like, uh, intricate race records and fact files and all these cars, it just doesn't seem to have appeared necessary. So this is my point, Thomas, in, in the work that you're doing is so crucial. And, and, and you probably do have a better library in that regard for, for a lot of these cars than, than the factory, surely. Yeah, I think so. Of course, they've been helping me a lot and I, I help them if they need some something also. But uh, it's like this early racing years of 9-11s. It's not been such a big uh, priority of the museum or anything you see that they don't have any 911 r 
they don't have any TR. I find that a little strange, of course, <laughs> because I, I find this uh, the the 67, 68 years of the Porsche history very crucial for the rally time because it was the start of the rally success they had with the ST. It all started with these cars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember a, a 68 TR being on display at the museum, uh, you know, again, a good maybe eight years ago. Um, mm -hmm. And it was uh, supplied to them via, at the time, it was Max DePage and Prill. And, and, and it was those guys that had um, carried out the restoration on that car. So, yeah, it was the right-hand drive uh, blue one. Uh, yeah. Silver, silver. A silver, yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's it, it does go to to show you know it gives you a you know a, an insight into the economics that you know the the roller coaster of economics that Porsche have been through I mean heritage in some respects is a, is a relatively modern you know fashion and interest anyway I know there are some well-established factory museums like Mercedes and Porsche as well but heritage isn't something that car companies have always been able to invest in because their own economics haven't allowed it even if they had wanted to so um mm. You know, it, 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 even now, I think sometimes there are cars on display at the Porsche Museum that are, you know, often privately owned cars and from collectors, you know, because Porsche still don't have them in their collection. And, you know, yeah. albeit they perhaps I, like to. I understand that they they cannot have everything. Uh, I understand that. But, uh, but even they, uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, the word classic, it hadn't even really entered the, you know, automotive lexicon anytime soon it was only where these cars the old old and, and that's the operational word or operative word old you know it wasn't until we started thinking so highly of these old cars that they became classic mm. if, if that makes sense so in yeah. the 1980s a porsche from the 60s wasn't a classic it was just an old porsche yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's true. So, it's, uh, but um of course and uh, as from if you say from 66 to 70 the motorsport uh, thing in Porsche was huge because of Ferdinand Piëch's big involvement when he started in '65 and took over the, the program for motorsport. Uh, they built uh, 906, 78, uh, yeah, 917. Yeah. The, all the rally cars, the TR, the R, everything was during these early years. Uh, uh, 67 to 70 yeah so it was uh, of course it's a uh, um so that's maybe why the 911 rally cars a little forget forgotten heroes in that because the 970 yeah, yeah. and everything overshadow maybe i don't know i think that's a that's a good point thomas i think you know yeah those those prototypes you know were, yeah. were more glamorous in some respects than um you know the things that looked um you know ostensibly just like an ordinary 911 ordinary inverted commas of course but ordinary nonetheless you know compared to yeah. a 910 or a you know or a, or a 917 especially yeah 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 you, you also have to consider uh that's kind of perhaps the sentiment from within porsche at the time um you know talking about this from a, a, a commentating on it from the outside looking in of course um but you know you have to remember you know the late great vic helford having to beg Huster von hanstein to to loan him a car to go racing in you know for, for british rallycross and and quite literally begging for the car you know at the time Por porsche wasn't kind of forthcoming with 
with lending out its 911 for racing, which is kind of, you know, ludicrous considering the journey that, that, um, <laughs> that the car has been on, you know, pedalled by Vic in those early days, of course, we talk about British, um, British yeah. Rallycross Championship, but also Monte Carlo as well. But um, yeah, you know, the, 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 it was the driver that went to the company and said, look, please, please give me a car to go racing in. So yeah. incredible, really incredible. Yeah, incredible. Um, Thomas, we, we've not even touched on the facts yet that uh, that you have worked with Jürgen Barth, which is just incredible. You know, I mean, the legendary Jürgen Barth, um, fountain of so much knowledge uh, within Porsche, motorsport and otherwise. Um, fantastic driver and racer, of course, responsible for numerous iconic Porsche 911s. Um, and also, you know, obviously Jürgen's father, Edgar, being at the company before him, which must have, you know, for in passing down anecdotal um, evidence, if you like, or information onto Jürgen and then onto you. I mean, that just must be fantastic. Yeah, it's been a real privilege to get to know him uh, all these years and hear the stories. And he's such a humble, nice man. And he just is just like us, a real enthusiast. Yeah. That's cool. I, I find that it it was his work, of course, as he started as an apprentice in Porsche, I think, in 63. He's been in Porsche for many years and did uh, 12 or 13 Le Mans entries for Porsche. Yeah. One win, of course. But uh, yeah, he's got an amazing career, but he's all about being helping the community and people because he's, uh, he's done so much research. And he was, when I look, because he's got an um, amazing library and archive of his own. And it's amazing to see how early he's starting to um, find a system like I try to do with other. And uh, I also try to help him with other project because he always has a lot of projects uh, going on on all kinds of models so yeah, yeah it's he's um, done so much for the uh, the Porsche brand that nobody maybe know <laughs> yeah, yeah agreed agreed yeah we, we're big fans of, of Jürgen it has to be said he's, he's, a, he's a lovely guy and um, so something that he gets turned to for Thomas and I wonder if that if you do this now as well is authentication of cars you know when mm. uh collectors are buying cars and cars are being sold and auctioned and that sort of thing you know to authenticate the provenance of a car especially a 911 i think it's quite difficult you know when people would yeah. go to jürgen for that do you find now especially maybe with the trs and the sts and that sort of thing is that something that you're doing and you're helping with because that's quite a responsibility um yeah i i help people with that but um it's really uh, difficult because uh, you can you can uh, supply the papers or the history, but uh, when authentic it's a car, that's really yeah, it's a lot of because some of them were race cars. How much of it is really left? Yeah, <laughs> and uh, has somebody tinkered with it before? So that's uh, I think. In my eyes, it's a little risky business trying to create that this is the real deal. But uh, of course, there are many people doing this around. So, but of course, uh, my favorite thing is trying to 
find uh, the history of the car and the authenticity of the the chassis number mm. of course so yeah. uh, it's the it's very difficult so, isn't it especially with racing cars because if a racing car yeah. especially during its contemporary career gets crashed um mm. you know and you need to race again then you might reshell something or you know so you know you end up yeah. you know and yeah you know you sort of put a load of bits onto the new chassis and off you go again and then the other mm. bits that are left they might end up in another car at some point and i think this has happened many many times so you end up with yeah. two cars and then at some stage if there's some you know provenance of value to it someone might say this is the car and then someone might say no this is the car and there are two yeah, cars I... with some claim to being the same thing and I, you know i've read various things i you know i i can't recall the details in the way that you could probably but you know that's that that's a common thing and yeah as, yeah as you say you're on you know, it's tricky ground for for anyone to you know to 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 authenticate that sort of thing in that sort of scenario yes of course you can uh, tell if it's uh if it's uh real or not real in some parts but um some of the uh replicas if you say that is so well made these days so it's difficult can be but uh yeah you see that with the, all kinds of porsches with great values uh, and they are raced and maybe crashed and one car is made into three maybe yeah <laughs> you see you see it with the 906s i don't know some of the win numbers they have three or four examples <laughs> the same same win number yeah 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 it's uh it's such an uh, and I see, uh, of course, these cars that I uh, do research on. Uh, as we enter Scandinavia in 71, 72, um, a rally was uh, banned in Scandinavia. It was, uh, uh, so it was not allowed to drive rally anymore. Right. And then I entered the rallycross era because that was the new thing in 72 and that was really 72 to 84 was rallycross mm. and they used old rally cars that uh, was not the newest model they could uh, use in that and uh, so a lot of uh, factory race cars was bashed about in the rallycross field yeah yeah it's tough competition rallycross isn't it yeah it's crazy so yeah but uh, that's um so many of the factory x factory rally 911s uh, was in scandinavia bought us uh, rally cars and yeah. that, that makes the the research even more difficult because then it's no plates and no history you cannot find anything in any any yeah, place yeah. because uh, it's all no papers yeah. so but uh so yeah. martin shanker is the name that springs to mind for me yeah, where is yeah. he from norway he's from norway he's from norway is he yeah yeah, yeah he I, I went a few times to the to brands hatch for the european yeah, yeah. rallycross yeah um thing with my dad and this must be late 80s you know so yeah. will gollop i remember yeah, you know, yeah. he, he was in there in his silkaline 6r4 yeah. but i remember martin shanker. i think at this time he was probably maybe in an rs200 rather than a Porsche. Yeah, that, uh, I remember a few years his, before, crazy-looking Porsches they were driving. Yeah, that was some of the Porsches that they used, the uh, Finnish and the Swedes, and some Norwegian also. And 
all of these cars, most of them, I have found the history. I found some of these cars and um, they have amazing history before they are being turned into these rallycross cars. And yeah, and they just uh, was sold for nothing, I guess, because they were just a Porsche shell. But uh, it's, uh, it's quite funny that they used race cars for this because they could use anything really. Mm. for this but so um, no i i found uh, found one car lately and it was actually a st from the start so it has been a very special um history before and uh, have some really cool photos during the rallycross period and that, that car i have photos it was um driving at brands hatch actually ah I might have seen in, it. The, the, yeah, in 80, 84, I think. Oh, oh, I think I went a few years later than that, maybe. Yeah. No, this was the early, early days. So it was, no, yeah, it was the last years uh, because it was two-wheel drive. So um, in 83, 84, the Audis took over. Yeah. With the Quattro. Yeah. And uh, this, this car was never uh, built as a four-wheel drive. So it had, had a... Three liter RSR engine in it, so yeah, it was a lot of special cars. And I know uh, Matti Allamäki, the Finnish driver with this uh, eight hundred horsepower nine thirty five. <laughs> it uh, this car is also um, bought by a Swede, I know, and it was really uh, amazing car. Also, that was a four wheel drive. Yeah. So this is, you know, where it, for me, it just gets so interesting. So you've, you've recently found an ST, um, 24 worldwide. Can you confirm the numbers, Thomas? Yeah. If you, if you, um, take the customer cars within, uh, there are about that, but yeah, it's, it depends how you see it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah. give or give or take. Um, yeah, it's it's a unicorn 911. There's there's no doubt about it. Uh, we're big fans of of that car on on this podcast. So you know you've you've been tasked really. I, d- I don't know whether it's via customer or yourself. I'm sure you'll you'll let us know. But um, you know you've you've gone off hunting for this car, one of the cars that you know as yet kind of hasn't surfaced in the modern day. Which is like wow, that's so cool. You know, there's an ST out there somewhere that's undiscovered. And you go after it. You found it. Uh, if, if at all possible, I'd love for you to explain perhaps a little bit of information on what what the car, what state it's in these days. Because um, I know you you previously told me off the mic, but you know you found all this information about it, and you've got pictures of it going from an ST to an RSR. And again, that is just kind of indicative of back in the day where well, you needed to keep up with the competition. So it wasn't, okay, mothball and ST because one day they're going to be highly sought after. It was a case of keep up with the competition. So, you know, it's taken on many different forms over the years and, and kind of assumed many different lives and identities, which again, for, for you must make the job so damned hard. And yet you've managed to find it, which I just think is outrageously awesome. Yeah, it was... I have all, of course, I have always cars that I trace, and it's all start usually with a rumor that somebody said, 
there there uh, there is the ST there. There's the, it should be a TR or something. And you start with rumors and you start uh, exploring, and then you're stuck maybe for for a year, no, no dead end. And then you buy uh, a car somewhere maybe, and then you find uh, a gearbox or something, and that belonged to that car and. Then you're off again uh, to a new. So it's a lot of, um, yeah, it's almost archaeology. It's a uh, very special, uh, a lot of work and a lot of research. And you have to search the strangest places because lots of this uh, happened in the 70s and 80s. So not much, much dig digital stuff. So you have to go libraries, local libraries, phone books, <laughs> and do all kinds of things. And of course, race results all over old um, programs, everything. So I was actually looking for an engine for another rally car that I heard a rumor that a guy had. And I got in contact with him. And he could um, confirm that he had this engine and gearbox for this car. Yeah, for the ST. No, for uh, for a '67 uh, Sport Kit rally car. Okay, okay. Yeah, so it was a, a, a rally engine from factory and gearbox with um, differential lock and um, and hill climb ratio. So very special thing two liter and special gearbox so that's how i and i was thrilled just to find this of course it was very special because like, i had a client with this car that was looking for this engine so i found the the matching number engine and gearbox for his rally car and that was, uh, and uh, then I started talking to this guy, and he knew somebody again that might had somebody else. So I got in contact, and uh, I had a picture of a car from a rallycross race. And I have searched all over. I talked to some of the old uh, drivers, but then nobody knew where it uh, ended. Nobody knew. It's the the last race. Stopped in 1987. So, um, and there it was. I found it <laughs> <laughs> suddenly through this uh, lead. It, of course, it was uh, in a real sorry state. It was as it had been raced in 87, <laughs> just parked oh. outside wow. since 87. <laughs> but it still had its race numbers on, everything was there. And it was just parked, and uh, there somebody had took the, um, the uh, suspension off it, so it was uh, on some pallets. So not so bad car, but uh, still, uh, it was the car, and you saw the liveries and everything on it. So yeah. then I, I uh, got the chance to buy this car also. So I had that uh, here in my and did a lot of research for that car because. That's the tricky part to, to really find find the story of it. So um, I think I have most of it clear now, but uh, it's for a client. So I will not, I will 
rather let the client tell it yeah. himself. Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's a bit of a double-edged sword with something like that, isn't it? It's In some respects, it's a little bit sad that it's sat since 1987 on a pallet. But on the other hand, from your point of view, at least you don't have to do any more research on the thing after 87 because you think, okay, since 87, it's sat on this pallet yeah. in the corner here. Yeah. At least there's not, you know, another 20 years or whatever of, of um, you know, of history and mucking about, uh, you know. At least it didn't end up with yeah. a, you know, like a Zender body kit on it in 1989 or something. <laughs> yeah, and uh, of course, is it, has it uh, been a, a streetcar? You can trace it through the registry for registration. But as this yeah. was a race car, it wasn't nowhere to find. And uh, so I checked, and I think when I started looking for that car, is twelve years ago. <laughs> wow! So. <laughs> So I, uh, of course, I did not search for it full time twelve years, but uh, yeah, it's very. Sometimes it's to talk to people. You suddenly it appears, and uh, some of the rumors you shall not uh, listen to. But uh, it's important to follow up all clues. I imagine so like, when you when you eventually found a car that was kind of you know rumored. Um, and then it's it's very much a slow burner, and and I I very much assume patience is quite high up on the on the job description of what you do. Um, yeah. I mean, you you seem like a very laid back guy, Thomas. So I, I think I think you've got that ticked. Um, but when you eventually find the car, like this ST, it surely must be like when uh, like Howard Carter found Tutankhamun or something. <laughs> oh, because it's like it's it's that massive. It's that massive. Yeah found this Porsche of high historical significance rumored to be around. And then years later, you know, there it is basically. And you found it. Yeah. It's really crazy. And you cannot sleep until you collected it really, because you're so anxious and nervous that somebody else will have heard about it and seen you being, you're getting really this paranoia. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> at least i do and uh the same thing uh, when uh, we find a tr in norway some years ago it was the same thing it was uh just heard about the 68 911 that was for sale and uh, I, uh somebody else was looking at it uh, and sent me the pictures and uh when i saw the win numbers win number i I knew at once that I seen these win numbers in my paper, and it was a TR. So that was a that was a car that was raced in Nurburgring in '68, <laughs> and it was in a barn in Norway suddenly. In the, uh, now, yeah, and it's just been uh, through Sweden and been just used as a reg regular street car. <laughs> it had a '73 RS, a bad look, a yellow. Sad, sad look, really. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, there you see, you never know what's behind uh, under the skin. So um, this sort of thing is absolutely fascinating, isn't Thomas? One one of the other things that I'm really into on the car thing is pre-war racing cars. You know, that's the thing yeah. I got from my dad. You know, um, mm -hmm. member of the Vintage Sports Car Club. So I was really always really interested in what happened to pre-war Grand Prix cars. 
you know, especially yeah. the Mercedes and Auto Union and Alphas and things like that, you know, because they were all sort of hidden away during the Second World War. And then there was the great, you know, people like Colin Crabbe and Terry Cohn who were, uh, you know, looking for yeah. these cars and many other people looking for them behind the Iron Curtain, you know, often yeah. given the, you know, the, the way things went uh, after World War II. And, you know, there were stories of, you know, finding, um, I can't remember if it was a Mercedes or an Auto Union that had been turned into a trailer. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and things like that. And Colin Crabb was yeah. famous for going to Central and South America and finding, uh, you know, finding cars and repatriating them to, to Europe. And I've always been fascinated by that sort of thing. Yeah, so, you know, you doing it, it with 911s is, you know, this, this is, this is great. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, important to save these cars in some ways, but uh of course, some of them, uh, since they have been used in rallycross and things like this, it's they have uh, lived a hard life. Some of them, of course, really. So, yeah. but uh, it's um, like this car. Uh, I found now I can document it back, and I, I talk to all the drivers. It's only the se uh, second owner that's not alive, actually. So uh, it's been uh, living a very rich and special life, this car, and just ending up in a scrapyard, really, at the end. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. So so. With, with, with a scenario like that, Thomas, say, if, if the owner who you, perhaps you're working with who's buying this car, if they say, uh, you know, a car's run from, you know, 70 to 87, doing all sorts of different things, perhaps not rallycross, but say it stayed in circuit racing and rallying, and they say, Thomas, which which car should we rebuild it to, if you like? Should we rebuild it to how it rolled out of the factory? Or should we rebuild it to how it was when it had its most famous result? Yeah. Um, you know, what's your... And, and if something, you know, like the car that's been stuck in the pallet since 87, you know, if, if they came out with, you know, different weight panels, different gauge panels and glass and that sort of thing, you know, can you even get that sort of thing these days? You know, how do you go... Yeah. You know, how do you tackle that next bit once you've found it? You know, then what do you do? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting question because uh, like this car that I found there, it, now it has a, a slant nose, 935 front, and it yeah. looks like a semi-wide 935 in a way, like the yeah. Rallycross cars did. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it's also been modified with um, lots of other things, but... Uh, and uh, but as the car, I have photos from 70, 74, 75, and the car was then as a three three liter RSR. It looks okay. like with everything. So of course that's that's an important stage in the car's history, also. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, it's really the, the 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 owner's view of which era should i build it back to yeah of course uh, most people want to build it as it was delivered from factory but um, yeah it's i i think it's cool that maybe somebody put it in the, the era they like most i don't know yeah yeah yeah. yeah, it's an interesting question that one, isn't it? You, you do yeah. see these cars, you know, they they change, and um, uh, you know, exactly as you say, really, some owner what might like a car as it appeared 
you know, say, yeah, you know, late seventies. And then someone might say, well, actually I quite liked the, the early eighties look it had with this livery or racing for this uh, mm. team or under this privateer, whatever. And, and, and they kind of, they get, they get changed about. And um, as you say, yeah. there's kind of, there's no right or wrong really on that really, because it's all documenting a part of its history and no part really, I suppose, is more or less significant than the other. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And uh, that's uh, the, like the short wheelbase cars, uh, the, the race cars before 69. Many of them were converted to long wheelbase and maybe built into RSR in the 70s because at that time, a, a short wheelbase was not competitive and uh, you always wanted the newest thing. Yeah. Uh, so one can maybe argue that you should leave it uh, close to how you were found or you can build it real back. Yeah. So, yeah, another known rally car that exists in Norway that I helped uh, to to get and that's the the one that was delivered new in Norway. So uh, well, it was a well known car, but it was now when we bought it, it was like a nine six four turbo street car. <laughs> right, wow, yeah, totally rebuilt, and uh, it's a sixty seven rally car, iris green from new. No, it's a lot of work to build it back, of course, but uh, this is underway now and will be built back to uh, to its uh, original state. So, but it's a lot of work, and uh, you can say, is it worth it? But in this case, the the win number and everything is there, so it's. I think it's important to get it back. Yeah. That Do, sounds yeah. like a car you're going to need to go and see, Lee, if it's Irish green. Bye, you yeah, have to bye. go on a pilgrimage over there. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And it's, uh, in, uh, I think, yeah, it's the only Irish green uh, rally car, I think, in 67. Oh, cool. That is super cool. Yeah. Do, do a yeah. lot of these cars, or you know, in, in the, the remit of your work, Thomas, is it kind of limited to Norway? Do a lot? Is it kind of serendipitous that these cars seem to kind of end up in Norway, or have you found cars further afield as well? Gives a bit of a flavour. Yeah, I, of course, uh, a lot of uh, cars is all over. So uh, I do uh, all over Europe. I have found cars, yes, because uh, the 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 traces of the cars they don't stop at the border. So, but. Um, Many of the cars, of course, I've found in Scandinavia because it's closest. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I have also f- helped people documenting cars that I found maybe, but it's it's a lot of good other guys doing the same as me all over Europe. So it, it's a lot of very knowledgeable, good uh, men doing the same as me other places. Mm. And have yeah. you got, uh, do you, do you travel? I'm thinking about some of the events that are coming up, you know, really soon this month, you know, we've got Goodwood Festival of Speed that we always have here. Then there's, then there's uh, Le Mans Classic, uh, which, mm. uh, which, which Lee's going to, which I've never been to, which, which is brilliant. And then, then, then there's Ren Sport Reunion next autumn. You know, sounds like you should be joining the Nine, Nine Works Radio gang when we go over there for that. Yeah, yeah. I would love that. I, I, I've been to many Le Mans Classic. I love that. It's really amazing. And uh, yeah, I love to go a uh, uh, lot of these events to look. It would be great. 
Yeah, we'd, we'd, we'd spoken with uh, Ulla during the, the, the weekend back that, um, yeah, you guys, you guys would join us in the, in the Nine Works Towers for Rensport Reunion next year. So very, <laughs> yeah. much forward, very much look forward to that. Um, We're getting a beach house, apparently, Thomas. We're getting yeah, somewhere up in, like, on the seafront. It's going to be, yeah, it's yeah. going to be pretty awesome. I'm excited. Yeah. Lee's, Lee's sorting it all. <laughs> well, we we were making some grand plans in Norway a couple of weeks ago. Admittedly, yeah, we were. It was uh, whiskey, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was an amazing weekend in Geiran. It's uh, was uh, real good. Yeah, it, yeah. it certainly was. And um, I think we should round things off by saying that, that you don't actually live in the Sunmore region, but you travelled down in the nine two eight, and it was a fair trek, which I'm full of admiration for. Yeah, I have 500 kilometers to go down. So I'm further north, actually. That's so, but I, I'm a perfect Porsche, Thomas, for that sort of journey. Yeah, it's amazing. I was uh, just enjoying and uh, just amazing trip. It was uh, really good. And actually, I'm taking the trip down to Alderson next week again. So yeah. I'm. Uh, I'm uh, visiting the same gang again, and I will be uh, holding a lecture for the club there next Wednesday, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. awesome. Absolutely. Brilliant. Awesome. Brilliant. Yeah. Some, something you said earlier on in the chat, Thomas, has had me thinking whilst we've been talking about how you, you know, you you got interested in the 928 because there was the local business and the guy who owned it had one and you'd see him in it using it and that sort of thing. That made me think, you know, after Lee asked me the question about the Porsche memory thing, when I, when I, um, when I was a little bit older, but still uh, only in my teens, when we moved to Buckinghamshire near where, where I live now, there was a local businessman who raced Porsches actually. Uh, he had a, electronics business and he actually set up a Porsche specialist sort of labor of love kind of thing and he used to smoke about my recollection which could be a little bit hazy was he always had the sort of current 911 turbo and it was always red uh, so I remember him in a in a sort of late 80 you know a sort of 930 and then I think I remember him maybe later in a 964 turbo and it had a registration that could have been in British registration terms could have been T-U-R-A-T-S, you know, something like that. Yeah, had, a, had, a, had, a, had a registration that read turbo in an effective way. And I used to see him around quite a lot because, you know, I was, I was living just outside the town where that was. And I think the way that I use my car, you know, or the way I aspired to owning a Porsche was to own a 911 and use it as a, as a car and drive it a lot rather than as mm. something to necessarily to covet and put yeah. away. And, 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 and as I think about it, maybe it was seeing him and, you know, I remember being in the car. I can remember a particular time of seeing it. I was in the car very close to where I live now and thinking, yeah, you know, when I'm older, I want to have the latest 911 and I want to drive around it and I want to be like him and that's how I want to be. And, you know, I haven't got the late, you know, mine's a 2013 991 and it's fantastic. And I don't daily it exactly, but I use it a lot and I drive it and I want to drive it. And I think, you know, maybe like you with seeing that guy with a 928 and you wanting that and you want to use it. I think that probably had an impact on me as well, actually, in, in the way that yeah. I now enjoy my car. Yeah, I think it's important to use these cars. And, and like the 928, I think a lot of them who has this car, they don't drive it too much. And uh, this is a car that's quite advanced. So it's, it's better to use it often. The car absolutely uh, helps up uh, much better when it's used so they are built to use 
So use it. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, Thomas, what is the best way for uh, people to kind of get in contact with you? Um, yeah, like emails, uh, Instagram and everything else. Yeah, of course, Instagram is uh, good. It's uh, Googly. It's a difficult Norwegian surname, of course, but uh, Instagram is, uh, I'm there. And uh, otherwise, it's um, on email or anything. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Well, let, yeah, we'll we'll share those details on our own social media pages yeah. on Instagram. And m- maybe Thomas, some of the you know stuff that you're able to share, some of the cars that you've talked about whilst we've been chatting. Maybe some of the pictures, if you're able, maybe we could put them on the Nineworks Radio Instagram so people can have a look. I know I'd be fascinated to see some of them, or you can post some pictures up on your Instagram so we can have a look. Uh, yeah, some of these cars. Yeah, I can uh, I can post some of the the pictures and uh, stories. It's always uh, interesting to uh, meet people that are interested in these uh, geeky things. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd love that, especially some of those crazy rallycross things because I can remember, you know, in my yeah. mind's eye, I can see some of those some of those things. You know, they do pop up occasionally on social media, but it'd be great to you know to see some of the some pictures of these cars that you've been telling us about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can do that, of course. Thank you. Absolutely amazing. All right, Thomas. Well, yeah, we we will sign off there. But before the three of us uh, do depart, it's worth just saying to people at home. So so next week we're going to do a a crew show. Uh, We'll get the gang back together. And and fingers crossed as well, hopefully some of our Patreons um, who volunteer uh, to support the show each week, which we're highly grateful of. Um, And a theme that we'll be looking at is first Porsche memories. So if you'd like to get involved with the show and take part in that, uh, DM us on Instagram or send us an email to hello at nineworks.co.uk with some details of your first Porsche memory. And then if that has any correlation whatsoever to whatever you're up to in the world of Porsche these days, add that in there as well. Because again, it just, uh, it's uncanny. I think that that really kind of does stay true to, to a lot of what people are doing in, in the present day. So yeah, let us know and we'll have a, a bit of a theme next week on, on first Porsche memories and how that yeah. shaped our enthusiasm from there. Yeah. Just before we go, something that you're like, Thomas, and not a first Porsche memory, almost a, a last Porsche memory, our most recent Porsche memory. I was coming home yesterday evening, beautiful evening here uh, in the UK, and I was driving home in my BMW, so I wasn't in a Porsche. And up ahead, I was only a few miles from home. In fact, actually just going over the crossroads where I saw that car back in the day that we we're talking about just now. Up in the distance, I saw uh, what looked like an early-ish 911 to me, but it was some way in the distance so I got my toe down so I could try and catch it up and as I got closer there were a couple of cars in between us and a boxster and then there was something I thought god that has I got a ducktail I thought is that a 27 RS you know talk about important cars and halo cars so I got right up I got as close as I could get in the line of traffic and then they turned the boxster and this what appeared to be a 27 RS they turned left towards my village I thought brilliant I thought wherever they go I'm going to follow them, even if they go through the village and out the other side. Let's just see where this goes. So we went into the village and they turned right onto the village green, the village that I live in, and they parked up. I thought, brilliant. So I parked up and I got out of the car. I was a little bit self-conscious because I'd just done a spin class. So I was sweaty and disgusting and horrible. But I thought, i got to go up to this guy and chat to him. So I went and spoke to this guy. And it was that um, purple, you know, dark purple that you sometimes see a 27 RS in. And I chatted to him. And he'd just recently been to the uh, RS 50th anniversary thing at Le Mans 
uh, with Porsche yeah. Club France. Yeah, um, I saw that he had that. Yeah, he'd been over there doing that. He'd had, he's had the thing for 18 months and that had been a rally car. And it's right-hand drive. So it's, so it's a right-hand drive, 27RS, touring spec, and it oh. has provenance as a rally car. So it had been well-thumbed and, it, you know, it's in pretty good nick now. But, you know, because of that history, you know, he feels that it's a car that can be driven and enjoyed. You know, it doesn't need to be a reference car, as I call them, or a museum piece. Mm. So he's had it 18 mm. months and he does load of miles in it. And he was out with his mate in their Boxster and, um, you know, they were just looking to, to go for a pint somewhere. So we had a little mm. chat um, about Porsches. <laughs> You know, we nerded out for a little while um, and then, you know, they went off to get their drink and I, I went home for a shower. Um, <laughs> it's brilliant. It's actually brilliant. Yeah. Really. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's a coincidence that you meet somebody and yeah, it's, it's good to see that such cars are being used. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely. And, uh, yeah, well, look, that's, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, Thomas, look, thanks for joining us. And also thanks for the work that you do. You know, your, your role is very important in, um, finding and then underlining the provenance of a lot of these cars that really forms the bedrock of the 911's history, because these cars, their success in competition has bred their success in the showroom as well. Win on Sunday, sell on Monday, et cetera. Um, and, and as you rightly pointed out at the very top of the podcast, uh, Porsche's uh, reputation for superior engineering was trialed on the racetrack and filters through to the road cars that we all own and love. So yeah, absolutely stellar work. And, and as I say, we're super grateful of you joining us today. Yeah. Here, here. I second that Thomas, you know, thanks for your time this evening, but also thank you for, for that work that you're doing. You know, it's important. It's important. Yeah, work. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me at your podcast. And I really appreciate it tops absolute tops okay well look yeah from max thomas and i it's goodbye for now get in contact with us uh, regarding your first portion memories we'll see you next week for another installment of nine works radio in the meantime though don't forget to check out nineworks.co.uk some really cool articles and videos that have gone live in the past week uh, we take a look inside the facelifted 992 there's some changes in the dashboard there and we've also got a really cool video looking at should you buy a classic porsche particularly one that's older than you uh, but until next time on Nineworks Radio, we'll catch you then. This episode was brought to you by our very kind Patreons. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to join them in supporting us, you can do so at patreon.com slash Nineworks Radio.